Welcome to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Alex Troxel. I'm here with my co-host, Seth Martosh. 
And if you're new to Tracks from Abroad, every week we go, metaphorically speaking, to a different country. We listen to their music, we speak with a student with ties to that country, and sometimes we even interview artists from that country, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so maybe not surprisingly, even metaphorically going to these different countries <laughs> can uh, still be quite costly. Um, and for that reason, even though our fundraising drive is over, we'd just like to let you know that uh, we are still very happy to accept donations at www.ciet. Uh, .fm, I believe. Yeah, exactly. We're, uh, we're at 82%, uh, so, you know, that would be great to hit our goal, even though it's after the fact. Today, we are taking a visit to Kurdistan, well, although not internationally recognized as a country. Um, it is an area in the Middle East comprising parts of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, where uh, the Kurdish people come from, one of the largest peoples without a state. And, uh, we had a lucky chance of talking to Sinem, who is a PhD student at the University of Toronto, and she studies ethnomusicology, which is a topic that I didn't really know existed. I mean, it sounds perfect for our show, whatever it is, though. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm looking forward to it. It was great. It. We talked a lot about different instruments coming from that area of the world and uh, frame drums being incorporated into North American uh, women's music circles. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to hear from Sinem on Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. I mean, even when I got this uh, invitation to uh, come on board for an interview, I wasn't sure because my parents were born in mid-east of Turkey, which is part of Kurdistan, mm -hmm. but I was born in Istanbul, and that's where I also grew up in up until the age of 14. But regardless, I grew up in a Kurdish household for sure. And I grew up in a very musical household. Um, I have learned to play instruments that are s culturally significant to Kurdish population in Turkey. Um, yeah, and that's about it, I guess, as a little summary. Mm -hmm. And for those who may not be aware, Kurdistan, again, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> is made up of parts of Turkey, Iran. Syria, Iran, and Iraq. Exactly. So yes. is there a big difference between the Kurdish people in all those countries? Um, well, in terms of folklore and music, there are some significant changes, but I think the biggest uh, difference is the language because Kurdish has four uh, different dialects. Mm. And um, what my parents uh, speak is Azaki. Uh, in, in, in Turkey, Kurds also speak Kurmanji, but in Iran, they mainly speak Sorani as well as in Iraq too. So language, and they are very distinct from one another. Mm. It's not easy. My parents can't understand any other dialect but the one that they speak. So yeah, in terms of music, they are very similar. Um, the, the traditional um, oral storytelling is the same. Dengbej culture is the same. I think use of instruments kind of differ. In Turkey, it's a bit it's a, it's a bit more encompassing. There are also a lot of Western instruments are being used at this point when mm -hmm. um, throughout Kurdish music production. But in Iraq, I'd say that it is more two to three instruments only still kept very traditional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those culturally significant instruments? Like, what are they? Of course. And I mean, um, some of them are kind of shared across cultures in mm -hmm. the Middle East. Um, you'll see in Iraq and in, in some of the um, bands in Turkey will also use oud. Oud is like mm -hmm. a pear-shaped plex string instrument. Another one would be um, saz. Saz is also a plex string instrument. We have um, erbane, which is 
also called duff in um, Persian cultures. It is a frame drum with um, jingles attached inside the frame. It has a very distinct sound and it's, um, it's played upright. And then in certain regions in Turkey, Kurdish populations also uh, incorporate clarinet. Hmm. That, is, that is one interesting one, but yeah. Do like kids learn these types of instruments in school or? Being Kurdish in the Turkish education system is pretty hard. Okay. It's, it's, not, it's not easy. Uh, but in Turkey, music education system pretty much is very Western mm. because that's what the whole country was built on, like the ideals of Western nations or Western values. Okay. What you are being taught in uh, music classrooms at this point is just basic piano skills or if anything, like a recorder, right. playing the recorder. Yeah, yeah I, I remember playing recorder. <laughs> In my too. school that also. That was my first. And just everybody's so out of tune. And oh, then the yes. teacher is at the front, like, yes. <laughs> it is, it is just head in her hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, in terms of, like, that kind of mix of the Western ideology, like, mm-hmm. do a lot of Kurdish people reject that or kind of try to bring their own culture to the forefront? or? Well, the, that is the thing. Like, Kurdishness is... is There is not a single meaning, right? So Mm -hmm. my experience versus Kurdish people in Eastern Turkey or Iran are completely different. I, I think I can say that I lived in a bubble compared to many Kurds go through in Eastern Turkey. Yeah, they just go through a lot more systemic issues than Mm -hmm. what I have been through. That was part, partly because we also had to kind of hide our identity for a while. Mm. You know, then you can kind of navigate life in that yeah. sense in big cities. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Is there anything uh, maybe besides that kind of community-oriented mm-hmm. culture that you wish maybe more Canadians had or could see from your culture? Um, really, uh, no. I think that community-orientedness is, is not specific to Kurdish culture at all. Mm. I think a lot of... Um, Cultures from the global south are very uh, community-oriented. Right. Not only the, that, even on this land, indigenous communities, sure. you know, they're all community-focused uh, uh, folks. Amazing. Uh, well, I would like to ask you if if you have a song that we can go to a music break with. Sure. I mean, we can um, listen to one of the bands from Turkey. They do contemporary um, folk music, and then they... Um, they cover a lot of traditional songs from different minorities in Turkey, not just Kurds, but Armenians and such. Um, so we're going to listen to um, Kardesh Türküler, and the song's name is Halale. Amazing. Well, we're going to take a short music break and listen to Halale, and we'll be back on Tracks from Abroad. <laughs>
listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm here with Sinem from Turkey and Kurdistan. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, what you're studying at uh, the university, what you're doing your PhD in. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So I am um, a third-year PhD student in ethnomusicology at the Faculty of Music. And even though I started my MA thinking that I would do um, my PhD one day and my dissertation topic would be on Kurdish music. It is not Mm. at all. Um, So what I'm studying is um, I'm studying various uses of non-Western frame drums, predominantly from the Middle East, and how these frame drums are incorporated into woman-only New Age circles in North America. There are a lot of um, spiritual groups, per se, in North America where women facilitators use these frame drums that are significant to Middle Eastern cultures. Not just Middle Eastern cultures, you also see um, um, indigenous drums are also being used. Um, But the problem is that these instruments are not being introduced in their cultural significance. They are pretty much... Facilitators often promise a, an interesting sense of spirituality or awakening through playing of these drums. And I am researching that phenomenon. And so my field sites include, at this point, they are planned to be Toronto, uh, New York, and Los Angeles. Wow. So what specifically is like a frame drum? A frame drum is pretty much a... Think about a circular frame, sure. right? And a um, and either an animal or a synthetic skin stretched over it. Okay. That's pretty much it. If you look at indigenous frame drums, mm-hmm. they are usually um, played with like a stick. Mm-hmm. In the Middle East and North Africa, most of these drums, they're predominantly called tar or bendir. Okay. And these two drums are usually played by hands. Mm-hmm. So there are like four to five um, drum strokes you can really repetitively play. Um, and again, when I mentioned previously, Arabane, which is also called Duff in, in, in Iran, it is, it is a frame drum. So my interest pretty much peaked right after I started seeing so many. Since the 70s, to be mm-hmm. honest, it's not a new phenomenon. But nobody really has done a research on how these instruments are incorporated into these very contemporary spiritual circles. How do you think that your research into this topic can be useful for communities here, potentially communities back, uh, you know, indigenous or in the Middle East where these um, types of music originate? Mm-hmm. Like, how can your research shine a light or help these types of communities? That is a great question because I was even thinking about this. Like, so um, the way I think um, is one, what I want to do with this research on a personal level is that it just brings some attention into that these drums are, even though nobody's giving credit, these drums are culturally significant drums to certain cultures. Mm. Most of the people who actually even play these drums do not know much about them. The only thing that they know that these drums were made popular by someone named Lane Redmond back in the 70s. And she was a fantastic frame drummer, but she also did some... Um, research. Uh, she also published a book called When the Drummers Were Women. And in that book, she talks about how back in ancient goddess religions, uh, women were the primary frame drummers. Hmm. 
um, in court, in spiritual or ritual settings, and she wanted to bring that back. So there, there has been an influx of women who uh, followed in her footsteps, learned to play basic rhythms on these instruments because they believe that it's their connection. They, she also um, made the point that as, as it exists in indigenous culture, like every stroke is a heartbeat of Mother Earth, mm. right? So it, it's a bit of a complex, I think, um, selling, unique selling point um, for these facilitators. So this is why one of the ways in which I want to look at this research is that how these instruments are being monetized actually for these people to make money because there are like retreats, virtual retreats mm-hmm. where women um, play these drums or they learn to play these drums for their own healing, whatever that healing might be, mm-hmm. right? And then they pay around 1000 to $1,000, well, $1,500 for this retreat. So th- there is a big monetization sure. um, of this instrument going on. Um, it, it is one of the things that I'm very interested in kind of uncovering. Yeah, I think we're going to go and take another music break if you would Please recommend uh, something we can listen to. Um, sure. Um, I, I thought that maybe this time we could go with something more traditional. So we could listen to Ainur, and the song is Kumrike. This is a um, an example of a uh, traditional Denkbej style singing. Amazing. Well, we are going to listen to Kumrike, and we will be back with more on Tracks from Abroad.
Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CAUT 89.5 FM. My name is Seth, and today I'm sitting here with Sinem. I wanted to also ask you a little bit about uh, Project Spectrum. Can oh. you explain <laughs> what that is, like your role in it? Of course. Um, so Project Spectrum is a student-led coalition that operates in um, North America. Um, so it's not Canada-specific, but it's USA and Canada, and it is... Um, it consists uh, of, at this point, 11, if I'm not mistaken, um, graduate students and um, about seven faculty members all over um, the U.S. And then we do um, work towards dismantling many forms of um, discrimination and systemic and systematic inequalities in North American music studies. Um, so what does that mean? There are a lot of people who do not, who choose not to go into music theory. We have societies like American Musicological um, Association, we have Society for Ethnomusicology or Society for Music Theory, where they hold annual meetings, conferences, where people with accessibility issues cannot go. And mm. we are not, we do not only talking about physical uh, disabilities, but we're also talking about scholars, junior or senior, from the global south not being able to attend these meetings, even though these societies position themselves as international right. societies, right? So what do we do about that? Um, so what, what we do as Project Spectrum is that we um, organize workshops. We do sort of activist work by publishing open letters. If there are issues going on within our societies or within schools, we make sure to take an active stance and voice our opinion, mm -hmm. representing a lot of marginalized uh, and minoritized students. Most of the project member spectrum, but well, all of us are actually all minority and marginalized. Right. We come from marginalized backgrounds. Um, so it, it says a lot about our positionality because if you come from those backgrounds, you know what you're talking about because you have a firsthand experience. Yeah, and I have been a part of Project Spectrum for the past two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And since April, I have been uh, one of the two co-chairs. And what is it like, again, from, from my research, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh -huh. like the Kurdish people are one of the biggest ethnicities and groups of people without... Without like a land. Right, so like a stateless people. nation. Yeah. So yeah. what is that like? I, I guess I'm more wondering also like the view of your parents or maybe grandparents yeah. versus someone around your age or somebody, you know, uh, coming from there today? I think we we experienced that very differently. Um, so my mom and dad, because they grew up in a village, they were all surrounded by their own relatives and nearby villages. Also, um, people lived and shared similar cultural values. They grew up knowing who they are in terms of their ethnic identity. For me and my siblings, but let's so this is a, this is an interesting point because so I have three siblings mm -hmm. and so including me we're four. Um, me and my older sister we have a different um, understanding of our identity right. versus my younger brother and sister. We call them Canadians. So mm -hmm. they, for for us they're not really Kurdish. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, who are we to say that? And you know, compared to my mom and dad. We can also discuss like how Kurdish me and my sister are. I never had a Kurdish friend mm. 
I think up until three years ago. Oh wow. Right? So I do not have a strong sense of Kurdish identity right. as an ethnic, I think, marker. I am aware of it. I know who I am, but is it big? Not really. Right. Yeah. Because I think ideologically I do I, I'm not a fan of like strong ethnic pride okay. of any sense. Yeah. Um, you know, because okay. I, I think we were discriminated due to like a um, nationalist pride right, of Turkish right, people. Right. So I think that sort of nationalistic tendencies, um, I do find them to be quite um, divisive. Yeah. Do you feel like that's, you know, a common opinion around, you know, newer, uh, I guess, people more contemporarily versus maybe the older generation? Yes, I think so. So, like, is there any older people that still are kind of advocating for, like, statehood and things like this versus it's not yeah. as popular these days? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to have a state, too. Yeah. But then I also think about, like, some people just love the idea of a state. Yeah. But I'm also concerned with what kind of a state would that be? Sure. Right? Because Kurds among themselves, they not only they have different dialects, but they also have different religions. Right. So when, when religion enters into the equation, yes. things Always can tricky. go <laughs> in interesting ways, yes. So I yeah, think more great. than more than the um, statehood, I think I'm more interested in like the um, right to self-determination sure. and autonomy. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah. on that note, uh, if there's any woman artist that you could recommend a, a song from? Yeah, I think we can um, say um, Revshan and the song's name is Kabir. Well, we're going to take a listen to Kabir from Rev Shan. And I just wanted to say, uh, Sinem, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing a little bit about your culture and about your life with us. So thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Amazing. And you're listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM.
You've been listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. And in our last interview, we spoke with Sinem from Turkey and Kurdistan. We just wanted to, you know, say thank you for coming on to the show and sharing uh, your culture with us. So thank you, Sinem. Mm -hmm. And uh, later in the show, we're going to hear some more Kurdish music. Yeah, could you tell us a bit about that? Right now, we're speaking over Taraf Syriana, I believe. Yes, so Taraf Syriana is a Kurdish band. Uh, they're currently based in Montreal. They have members from uh, Syria, Moldova, and uh, again, uh, based in Montreal. They're actually performing at Drum to Burn on November the 30th. Uh, I feel like we've been giving Drum a bit of uh, yeah. good advertisements these Absolutely. last couple of weeks. Lots of shows there and international music. So, uh, you know, go check them out if you're interested in. In a, in a good time. Yeah, have, if you're if you'd like to network with some uh, CIUT guests. Have you anytime. have you been to Drum at all? I've not. You said you have, right? I, yeah, I was there once, um, and actually, I think that one time they had something wrong with their kitchen mm-hmm. was going on, and um, I had to go to their like sister restaurant because I was super hungry. Okay. Um, but then we came back there after. But it's always a good time. Always uh always looks like something interesting is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh. Yeah, that's the end of the interview portions, and uh, we'll hear next from Taraf Syriana on Tracks from Abroad. Eu te iubesc pentru că tu mă iubesc 
Hello and welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm Alex, I'm here with Seth as always, and we just want to thank our guest today, Sanem, for coming in and telling us all about Kurdistan. Uh, I, I won't even say a country that a lot of people might not know about, but an ethnic group that a lot of people might not know about, and also just for sharing uh, her her uh, deep knowledge about you know 
music and and its uh, importance in culture. Yeah, totally. And uh, tracks from abroad would not be possible without the incredible team behind it. So uh, in the studio, we have Matthew, the board tech. Thank you, Matthew. We have our editors, Simon and Rosa. We have social media managers, Akshita and Isabella, as well as the directors of the show, Jesse and Elizabeth. I don't I or haven't Elizabeth. said it like that, yeah, like that, that in a while, but... I heard her say it one time, so I, I tried to go for it. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, next week we're going to be visiting Sudan, so stay tuned for that. Mm. And what do we got next? Next up is Indigenous Waves, so you can stick around for that. And uh, for us, we're wishing you a good night. And hopefully if you're still trying to find your way home, you do so safely. Yeah. Because it is snowed, snowed, and snowed downtown Toronto. So Very nice. Uh, yeah, First snow of the season. Yeah, enjoy the aesthetically beautiful weather, but the, at the same time, cripplingly cold weather. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's it for us tonight. Thank You've you. You've been listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. Okay.